You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Boring, Oregon. We gather each Sunday morning at 1030 as a worshiping community of Jesus followers on mission to see God glorified in our lives, our cities, and around the world. At Hollyview, the Bible serves as our foundation and guide for both life and ministry. It tells the story of God and the story of us. We believe the better we know the themes and flow of the biblical story, the better we will be able to find our little place in God's grand storyline. And now, here's this week's message on the Hollyview Podcast. Good morning. It's nice to be outside. Nice to be here. Uh, we are going to conclude our series in 1 Samuel today. We've, we've been working on this series for a long time. But before we get to the message, I'd ask uh, four kids if they would come up and read portions of a psalm uh, that most likely were written during our story today in First Samuel. Uh, so if we can have those kids come on up, Kendall and Abigail and Abigail and Hannah. So they're going to read from Psalm 22. And, and a few of the things I want you just to be listening for, and we'll develop more in the sermon as well, is, is there's different feelings or emotions in each of these. This is one psalm, but it kind of goes all over the place. Uh, so you'll, you'll see. Here we go. My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Every day I call to you, my God, but you do not answer. Yet you are holy, a throne on the praise of Israel. Our ancestors trusted in you, and you rescued them. O oh Lord, don't stay far away. You are my strength. Come quickly to to my aid. Save me from the sword. Spare my precious life for, from these dogs. Snatch me from the lion's jaw and from the horns of the wild oxen. I will proclaim to you, I will, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters. I will praise you among your assembled people. Praise the Lord, all you who fear him. Honor him, all you descendants of Jacob. Show your reverence, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not ignored or belittled the suffering of the needy. He has not turned his back on them, but he has listened to their cries for help. Very good. Thank you, ladies. I appreciate it. Okay, I'd like to begin this morning by reading uh, the last part of our text today. That's found in 1 Samuel 31. So if you have a Bible, you can open it there or a phone. Uh, there's an app on there. Uh, or just listen as well. We'll be in 1 Samuel 31. We're going to cover two chapters. Uh, but I just want to begin by, by reading just a, a portion of the, the last chapter, beginning in verse 1. So, so 1 Samuel 31 in verse 1. Now the Philistines were fighting against Israel, and the men of Israel fled before the Philistines and fell slain on Mount Gilboa. Uh, you'll read on from there, and you'll see more descriptions of, of how that battle took place and how Saul and his uh, sons died in more uh, detail. But let's skip down to verse 8. The next day, when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. So they cut off his head and stripped off his armor and sent messengers throughout the land of the Philistines to carry the good news to the house of their idols and to the people. They put his armor in the temple of Ashtaroth, and they fastened his body to the wall of Bethshan. But when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and went all night and took the 
body of Saul and the bodies of his son from the wall of Bishon. And they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And they took their bones and buried them under the tamarisk tree in Jabesh and fasted seven days. Let's pray. Lord, as we come uh, to your word that was written so long ago, but Lord, uh, with the Spirit's help, is written for us today. So Lord, the the lessons that we can learn, that the more we can see you in in this story, Lord, I, I just pray that you would uh, quicken our our hearts and our and our understanding this morning, that we would uh, be able to track what you are saying to each one of us. Lord, thanks for the the beautiful weather, and I pray that the environment would lead us to to worship uh, you even more. So open our ears, we can hear. Open our eyes, that we can see. Lord, soften our hearts, that when we leave here today, we're will be different people, understanding and loving you more and how that reflects in our own lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We get to the death of Saul and his son, and for seven days, it says the men of Jabesh, they fasted. Uh, They started on this process of of grieving, uh, of reflecting, of thinking through the life of Saul and Jonathan and his sons and and what that meant to him. Uh, There's a seven-day period after you bury someone that in Hebrew is it's called uh, this phrase called sitting Shiva anyone any of you heard that before sitting Shiva uh, it's a seven week period or a seven day period the word Shiva in Hebrew actually means seven it's a period of seven days and you can just imagine where they where they just sit they would be quiet they would grieve uh, they would tell stories and, and express emotions to each other they would just be there with each other and with friends and family, uh, sitting Shiva. Well, David's son Solomon, he found a lot of wisdom in this practice. So he even encouraged all of us. Uh, in the, the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, to this end, I want you guys to, to be doing this too. He said, it's better to go to the house of mourning than a house of feasting. It's better to go to a, a memorial service than it is a party. He's like, well, that doesn't make much sense. But he goes on to explain, uh, because death comes to all of us. So the living should take this to heart. The living should take to heart these times of sitting Shiva. Um, well, as we come to the end of First Samuel, uh, it's a very transitional point in our story in the book of Samuel. Samuel is actually one book. It's just divided because of scroll length, but it's divided in a very purposeful way. It comes to this moment, and it wants us to stop and slow down. We see these men under this tamarisk tree, which I picture it's not anything like this, but it's a, ch- a tree that offers shade uh, for people that was, that was planted a long time ago. And they're sitting under this tamarisk tree, sitting Shiva for seven days as they reflect on the life of Saul and David. And, and I think the author is inviting all of us to sit underneath this tamarisk tree as we think about the lessons and stories uh, of 1 Samuel as well. So I picture it like this. They probably uh, dug a hole underneath the tree. They buried uh, Saul and his son's bones underneath it and patted the ground uh, down to make it look smooth again. And then they began to tell stories, uh, just, just like we do at, at all funerals. Uh, you, you sit around after the after the burial, and you, you say, "Remember when? Uh, remember when?" I think that's what they were doing under that tamarisk tree that day. Uh, someone pipes in from around the tree that's that's sitting down and uh, just being sitting Shiva, and goes, "Remember when when Saul was here underneath this very tree?" 
Do you, do you remember that day? I remember that day. And somebody else probably pipes up, oh, I know that day. The whole army was here with Saul. Oh, yeah, Saul. He had a spear in his hand that day. Do you remember that? Saul always had a spear in his hand. Boy, he was angry that day. The day that he was under the tamarisk tree so long ago, uh, he was yelling at everybody, his whole army, saying, you guys are all cheating on me. You're all against me. You're all for David. You're all spies. No one is for me. Why did you guys all treat me like this? I remember him just screaming and yelling at everyone. He just seemed so angry all the time. And somebody else would probably like, uh, well, you remember what happened after that, right? Do you remember that day? Who could forget? It was one of the darkest days. What happened and what was commanded underneath that tamarisk tree so long ago, uh, it, it made shockwaves throughout the whole community. See, Saul was so upset, and when he found out it was the priest of Nob who had been helping David, he commanded the death of all the priests from underneath that tamarisk tree. That was a dark day. I'm sure as they sat underneath that tamarisk tree, sitting Shiva, and thinking of the life of Saul, they probably reflected back, well, he was an angry man. You know, he was the king. He could have had anything he wanted, and yet he felt so unsatisfied. There was never enough for Saul. He was angry. He was alone. Do you remember that? Well, I hope Saul rests well underneath that tamarisk tree. May God give peace to him, but I sure don't ever want to be like Saul. And I'm sure everyone there said the same thing. I, I don't want to be like Saul. Lord, please don't make me like Saul. Well, while these men were, and women were sitting underneath the tamarisk tree, uh, reflecting on the life of Saul and what that meant for their own lives, taking to heart the lessons they learned, uh, there must have been a messenger that came up and told them of another story. You guys aren't going to believe this story. You see, while all this was taking place, when the Philistines were fighting against the Israelites and Saul was killed by the archers and his, and his sons, uh, while all this was taking place and you were burying Saul underneath this tamarisk tree, there was another battle going on 60 miles away that I have to tell you about. It's unbelievable. So on this hill, as they're reflecting on what the life lessons of those who have gone before them and what it means for them and a better way to live, they hear this story that we find in 1 Samuel 30. Uh, the story actually starts uh, the moment that David is rejected from fighting with the Philistines. Remember that? So long ago. He wants to fight with the Philistines, but he's going to be fighting against the Israelites. And the whole Philistine army says, no way. We don't want this Hebrew to go with us. So they send him back. Well, they send him back on a 60-mile journey that takes them three days. And we'll pick up the story in 1 Samuel 30, verse 1. Now, when David and his men came to Ziklag on the third day the third day after he had been rejected by the Philistines. The Amalekites had made a raid against the Negev and against Ziklag. They had overcome Ziklag and burned it with fire and taken captive and all who were in it, taken the women captive and all who were in it, both small and great. They killed no one but carried them off and went their way. And when David and his men came to the city, they found it burned with fire and their wives and their sons and their daughters taken captive. And David and the people who were with him raised their voices and wept until they could 
no more, till they had no more strength to weep. David's two wives had also been taken, Ahinoam of Jezreel and Abigail, the widow of Nabal of Carmel. And David was greatly distressed, for the people spoke of stoning him, because all the people were bitter in soul, each for his own sons and daughters. See, David had just been rejected by the Philistines, had made this long march back to Ziklag, uh, 20 miles a day probably, with, with all their uh, equipment and food and supplies. They get back to Ziklag, hoping to sleep in their own bed that night after a long vacation, a long thing. You, you understand how it is. Eat your own food. You're back home again. And David and his men come back, and they see the whole town burned. There's nothing but smoke. Uh, you can imagine the emotions rising up in these men who are exhausted from going that journey to fight with the Philistines and then having to come back and finding the devastation there. And they're weeping and they're crying and it says they have no more strength. They're just exhausted physically, emotionally. It's gone. I mean, David has, has led these men away and then they're back and now everything is gone and they turn on David even. And they pick up stones, and they're mad at David. They're just hurting. And so now David's been not only rejected by his, the Israelites, he's been rejected by the Philistines. Now he's rejected by his own men and want to get killed. He has no more family. He has no more friends. Have you ever been so low when you feel like there is no hope? Like, that's it. And that's why I'm convinced that at, it's around this story that David ends up pending uh, Psalm 22. The psalm that starts, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Where's the hope? How am I supposed to get up from there? Well, David doesn't just stay stuck in his emotions. He, he, he doesn't just stay in the darkest day of his life. It goes on to say, look at the second part of verse 6. But David, he strengthened himself in the Lord. Now, as we read uh, the rest of this chapter up to 24, notice all the times that it talks about David. It actually mentions David 30 times in this chapter. Uh, David uh, active and following the Lord. Verse 7, And David said to uh, Abiathar, the priest, the son of Ahimelech, Bring me the ephod. So Abiathar brought the ephod to David, and David inquired of the Lord, Shall I pursue after this band? Shall I overtake them? He answered him, Pursue, for you shall surely overtake them and surely rescue. So David set out, and 600 men who were with him, and they came to the brook Beshur, where those who were left behind stayed. But David pursued, he and 400 men. 200 stayed behind, who were too exhausted to cross the brook Beshur. They found an Egyptian in the open country and brought him to David. And they gave him bread, and he ate. And they gave him water to drink. And they gave him a piece of cake of figs and two clusters of raisins. And when he had eaten, his spirit revived. For he had not eaten bread or drink water for three days and three nights. And David said to him, To whom do you belong, and where are you from? He said, I'm a young man of Egypt, servant to the Amalekite, and to an Amalekite, and my master left me behind because I fell sick three days ago. We have made a raid against the Negev of the uh, Karahite, and against those who belong to Judah, and against the Negev of Caleb, and we burned Ziklag with fire. And David said to him, Will you take me down to this band? 
And he said, Swear to me by God that you will not kill me or deliver me into the hands of my master, and I will take you down to this band. Verse 16. And when he had taken him down, behold, there was spread abroad over all the land, eating and drinking and dancing because of all the great spoil that they had taken from the land of the Philistines and from the land of Judah. And David struck them from twilight until the evening of the next day. And not a man of them escaped except for 400 young men who mounted camels and fled. David recovered all that the Amalekites had taken, and David rescued his two wives. Nothing was missing, whether small or great, sons or daughters, spoil or anything that had been taken. David brought back all. David also captured all the flocks and herds, and the people drove the livestock before him and said, This is David's spoil. Then David came to the 200 men who had been too exhausted to follow David and who had been left by, at the brook Bishor, and they went out to meet David and to meet the people who were with him. And when David came near to the people, he greeted them. Then all the wicked and worthless fellows among them, among the men who had gone with David said, Because they did not go with us, we will not give them any of the spoil that we have recovered, except that each man uh, may lead away his wife and children and depart. But David said, You shall not do so, my brothers with what the Lord has given to you. He has preserved us and given into our hands the band that came against us. Who would listen to you in this manner? For as his share is, who goes into the battle, so shall his share be, uh, be who stands by the luggage. They shall share alike. Let's stop right there. May God bless the reading of his word. You know, that story as it's told to these men who are reflecting on on life and the men who've gone before them and how they should live, how we ought to act and live in this world, uh, reminds us that we all walk through different seasons of life. And some of them are way more difficult than others. Life is, is full of lots of different things. And I, from this moment on, when we leave here, our lives will be continually full of, of just endless uh, lists of things to do. There's activities, there's the tyranny of the urgent, there's broken pipes, there's endless shopping trips, there's laundry, uh, there's vacation planning, uh, there's time with friends and families, there's house maintenance. And, and if we didn't stop at some points to sit shiva, to just be, uh, we might get to the end of our lives and look back and go, wow, this isn't where I wanted to be. So God graciously uh, gives us these times where we can stop, we can consider the lives of the people that have gone before us, and we can reflect on what that means for, for our life. To sit shiva, just to be. Well, that's what I think the author is wanting us to do this morning as we get to the end of First Samuel. So, so uh, let's stop for a few minutes. Let's take Solomon's words. It's better to go to the house of mourning than the house of feasting because death comes to us all. The living should take this to heart. So, so I want to offer you four lessons that I think we see from not only 1 Samuel 30, but, but also the entirety of 1 Samuel. As we stop at this key moment in the book and reflect back on uh, how ought I to live? Uh, how does the lives that have gone before me that have been buried in the ground, how, how do they impact me? And here's the first lesson I think we find in 1 Samuel. It's the encouragement to find your strength in the Lord. 
Find your strength in the Lord. You know, when David was at his darkest day, in verse 6 it says, but David strengthened himself in the Lord. You know, we're, we all get tired. We all get overwhelmed. We feel hopeless at times. Maybe even stuck in this discouragement and wanting, you just feel like, boy, how I responded, I regret, but I was emotional. And working through all these things in life, we're always looking for where's our strength going to come from? Uh, and there's a natural tendency that we all have. Uh, uh, maybe for you, it's, oh boy, I just want to turn on the television, or I just want to go shopping. I want to spend money. I, I want to just consume something. I want to go out to eat. I, I want to just meet. Somehow, you're looking for your strength. But what the lessons of Saul and David tell us is that we need to find our strength in the Lord. At da- David's darkest moment, it says, he strengthened himself in the Lord. And doesn't that sound nice? Boy, I want to be strengthened in the Lord. How in the world do you do that? And I'm convinced for David, uh, it was probably a lot like Caleb Wright. He, he either wrote a song or was singing a song. That, to me, feels like how he strengthened himself in the Lord. And if you're not musical, you might think, boy, well, how do I strengthen myself in the Lord? Well, that's okay. You don't have to be musical. You, you've been given this music book, the book of Psalms. This book of Psalms is really like an emotional roadmap uh, to help you navigate different things in life when you're happy and when you're going through difficult things, being able to find your strength in the Lord. Now, we, there's not like a clear indication. It doesn't say on the superscript or anything, but more than likely, this psalm, Psalm 22, was written during this time. Can you just see David? I mean, he's been rejected by everyone. People are looking to just kill him, and he starts penning this, this psalm. My God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? That psalm, and actually many psalms, they give this pattern or this process for how you can find your strength in the Lord. That A process of how we can follow that when you're feeling discouraged or down, that you can find your strength in the Lord. And, and I'm going to give you, I think there's four questions that David asked himself, and I think this was his roadmap for how he even wrote a lot of the psalms. Uh, so once these questions, once I give you these questions, you can read some of the Psalms and go, oh, I see this is the pattern that David was, was going through. So how do you find your strength in the Lord? I think you ask these four questions. The very first question may seem simple, but it's just this. How do I feel? How do I feel? What emotions are coming up in me? And being honest with those, we often try to like shove them down, but that question of how, how do I feel? Where am I at? You know, I think David, he felt abandoned. He felt betrayed. He felt alone. He felt angry and scared and sad all in the same moment. And so, so as he even finds strength in the Lord, the very first thing he does is, how am I feeling? Lord, I'm feeling like you're not even there. Lord, I feel like you're abandoning me. Where are you, Lord? But he doesn't stay there. He, he recognizes it. He brings that up to the top, but he doesn't stay there. He, he asks himself the second question. What do I know to be true? What do I know that's true from God's word? And not what am I feeling? What do I know to be true? And these are often, they, they feel like they're opposites even at sometimes. What do I know to be true? And, and David in Psalm 22 says, Lord, this is what I know to be true. I know you've answered other people. I know you've rescued them. I know you've been faithful to your people over and over and over again. 
Lord, I know you, you can have, uh, you have the ears to answer prayers. You have the power to answer prayers. Lord, I know you can do that. That's what I know. And these often are in opposition, aren't they? I feel like you've abandoned me. I feel like you don't care. But I know you do care. How do I feel? What do I know? And then the third question, what will I choose to believe? What will I choose to believe? And so for David, he felt abandoned. Where are you, Lord? Why, why have you abandoned me? But I, I, know you've, I know you've answered other people before. So what will he then believe? And, and for David, he says, so I choose to believe that you're going to answer me when I call to you. I believe you are the God you say you are. I believe that you are a God who listens and protects and guides and leads. So what will I believe? I'll believe all those things about God, no matter what I feel in the moment. I know these to be true, and so I'll choose to believe them. And then the fourth question. So how do I feel? What do I know to be true? What will I believe? And then the fourth question then is, how will I respond? And you'll see these in the Psalms all the time. As David gets to the end, finds his strength in the Lord. So how am I going to respond? Lord, I'm going to follow and be faithful to you. I'm not going to go off and do whatever I want to, Lord. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to ask you. Lord, I'm going to wait for just the right moment when you lead and guide. And going through that process of asking those four questions. How do I feel? What do I know to be true? What am I going to believe? Now, how am I going to respond? I believe that is a very simple way that when David said he found, he strengthened himself in the Lord, I think those are the questions he was asking and wrestling through. And I think we can all ask and wrestle through those as well to find our strength in the Lord. So if we want to live well, if we want to learn from the, the men and women who went before us, like, like David, of how we should live this life, I think we need to find our strength in the Lord. You don't find it in everything that Saul found his strength in. You don't find it in uh, accomplishments or control or having a spear in your hand that you're the most powerful person there and you can crush anyone. You don't find it in any, any of those things. Those will all end up in dead-end streets. You'll end up empty in the end. But David has really shown us that if we find our strength in the Lord, there's a well there that we can continually draw from. So the first life lesson from under the tamarisk tree, find your strength in the Lord. And through that process, reading the Psalms every day when you're feeling those emotions, they'll actually guide you through a lot of those questions that you're asking yourself, even without you even knowing it. Well, here's the second lesson from under the tamarisk tree. Turn to the Lord first. Turn to the Lord first. You know, it, it's very simple, uh, right? But after David strengthens himself in the Lord, after he is renewed and gotten energy and strength and vision again, what's the first thing he does? We well, charges off to get his wife and kids and beat that other enemy, right? Now, the very first thing he does is he says, let's inquire of the Lord. See, when, when you're strengthened in the Lord, it's often strength to, to draw you closer to the Lord, not, not for you to go off and do everything else. So David, he gets his strength, from the Lord, and the very first thing he does with that strength is going, okay, Lord, what do you want me to do? He prays. Uh, what a great example for us. He doesn't go off in a blind rage. You would think with all those emotions going on, he, he doesn't just go, let's go, let's go. Uh, he doesn't even know where these guys are at. The first thing he does is he prays. And I think that's a great lesson for all of us. Before 
we move and act and do anything, if we want to live well and learn from the people that have gone before us, that the first thing we'll do before we make any decisions, before we respond, is with the strength God's given us, we'll say, okay, Lord, where do you want me to go now? The third lesson. The third lesson we learned from under the tamarisk tree. Be kind and compassionate to everyone. Be kind and compassionate to everyone. And you know, we've kind of lost that this last year as well. But let's just reflect for a little bit on the life of, of David versus the life of, of Saul. You know, David had been rejected by the Philistines. He takes this long 60-mile journey uh, back to the town. They're exhausted. They get to town. There's all these emotions. They've lost everything. They say they, those men wept until they had no more energy at all. They were exact. They were just exhausted. And then, and then David strengthens himself in the Lord, gets this word, go after him. You're going to have victory. And so David goes, great men, pack up. Let's start moving again. Can you imagine being in that army and going, oh, I'm exhausted. I mean, I'm spent. And so as they're traveling, they get to this brook, this stream that probably had trees and a shade there. And, and 200 of them are like, that's it. I'm done. I can't do any more. Now, instead of David going, nope, keep moving, keep working. You got to keep going. The Lord told us to come do this. So you got to move, go, go, go. David doesn't push them. He allows 200 men in, in really kindness and compassion to go, hey, stay here, rest, get recharged. Uh, the rest of us, we'll take this battle. Y you stay here. And I think so often as uh, believers, we have this, uh, especially Western believers, we have this sense of like, boy, I, I need to be working and doing and doing and doing. And if I'm not doing, I'm, I'm worthless. But I think the clear example here in 1 Samuel 30 is that there's times for everything. There's times to step back and not work so hard. There's times to just be. Uh, so it's not only the, the space that David gave them, it's these men going, we can't, we can't go anymore. And David giving him the space to say, hey, rest here. We got the rest of this. But it, w it wasn't just uh, David's own men that he was kind and compassionate to. There was another guy along the way. See, three days before when David was rejected by the Philistines, there was another guy being rejected and left in the middle of the wilderness. It was an Egyptian. He was a servant of one of the Amalekites. And as they're going on their way, escaping from all these towns that they've burned, uh, this servant gets sick. And instead of, of helping or bringing him along, the, the Amalekite just goes, just leave him. Just leave him in the desert. He's just slowing us down. He's worthless. And they don't even give him any bread or water. They just leave him to die in the wilderness because he's useless. He, he, doesn't, he, doesn't, he doesn't mean anything. He can't help them out at all. Well, even when David gets to him, all it is, is there is, uh, there, there is nothing uh, that this man who is sick in the wilderness can do for his army. He's not going to join the army. He, he's not going to uh, strap on a sword and go fight for him. He has no idea who this guy is, and he's on a mission from the Lord to get back his wife and children. Do you imagine the urgency that's there? And yet, as he goes in the wilderness... And he finds this sick guy. He says, stop, give him some bread, give him some water, give him some figs, give him some cake, let him eat. 
and this whole army stops because of one man who they have no idea who he is. He has nothing to offer them that they know of. And yet in kindness and compassion, they nurse him back to health. And then they end up finding that, well, he was, he was, with, he was with those guys who burned our city. He knows right where they're going. He can lead us right there. And so you find out in the story, I mean, just the twist of irony, the person that no one thought, that everyone thought was worthless, that couldn't do anything, that left behind, who cares about this person, is actually the instrument that God uses to help David rescue his wife and his kids again and restore everything. It was because of kindness and compassion so you never know who God is going to use for his kingdom. I think we go past people every day that people have just uh, discarded or thought lower of. But as believers in, in Jesus, what we learn is even people of authority and power to be kind and compassionate to everyone along the way. So we're still under the tamarisk tree. We've got one more lesson to learn. One, one more lesson that we can see from the life of David and Saul that we can take to heart uh, today. We've seen that we're supposed to find our strength in the Lord, turn to the Lord first, be kind and compassionate to everyone, and, and the last one is, is offer grace. Offer grace. I think as Christians, our lives should be marked by the grace to the extent to which God has given us grace. So just think of how much grace God has given you in your mess-ups, and to that extent, that's the grace we should be giving other people. You know, the army goes off and attacks and gets all this spoil back. I mean, they got everything back that they had lost and then some because they had attacked the, the Philistines and these other places too. So they got all these, uh, these cows and sheep and everything back. So this army of 400 and David, they get back to the, the brook of Bishor and there's the 200 guys who are now revived and they have energy and they come to meet with those men. And, and David's like, he greets them. It was probably a shalom. That's how they greet it. Peace to you. But then there's like these wicked uh, men that they describe and they say, you don't get any of this because you didn't go out into battle with us. You get none of this. Take your wives and your kids and go away. And David says, whoa, slow down. You don't understand grace very well because everything that we have just gotten was all from the hand of the Lord. There, there's a principle there, I think. What you've, been, what you've been given, what you've received as a gift from the Lord should then be given as a gift. What you receive as a gift, you should give as a gift. And I think some of it, much of it is we think, oh, we've earned this, uh, I've done this, I've worked so hard, I, I've earned all, like I've gotten all this treasure and all these things, this is all mine. When in reality, if the Lord didn't give you the strength or the capability or the jobs, or the mental fortitude to do that, you wouldn't have any of that. Everything you've been given in your life is a gift from the Lord. So everything then should be given as a gift, to be gracious and kind. The more we hold on to the blessings or, tr or try to keep what, what the Lord has given you, the more you're going to end up like Saul. You're going to end up selfish and alone and angry. But the more you live in grace, uh, offering to other people the patience and kindness and love and uh, even, even your own attention to listen to someone, the more that you're 
gracious to other people, the more you're going to end up looking like David and then ultimately like Jesus. So let me ask you, as we sit Shiva under this nice tree today, as we take to heart the lessons that we've learned in First Samuel, let me ask you this, what kind of, what kind of king do you want to follow? Saul or David? What, what kind of king do you want to emulate and reflect in your life? A, a king that is selfish and violent and controlling? That takes and takes and takes and thinks only for himself? Or, or a king that will fight for his bride? That will give up his life to win back the one that he loves? To bring victory over darkness and death? And then give gifts to men? Not, not based on how good they are or how much they work, but give, giving gifts just out of the graciousness of his heart. Well, the kind of king that you follow will be the kind of kingdom that you're building around you. And in that, there'll be two different kind of gospels. They see after they had killed Saul and his sons, they brought the good news. The Philistines, or the Amalekites, brought the, the good news that, that they had just killed killed everyone, that they had stomped them down, that they were victorious. There was this good news, but it was this good news of death. Whereas the good news of Jesus is good news of life. You know, from this moment on, our lives are going to speed up. So you get from here, you're thinking about lunch, and then maybe a day on the river, or going to see friends, or you got weeds to pull, or you got things planned for this next week. You have a vacation coming up, you're going camping, have you got your tent out, or if you're not tent camping as your trailer all set up. There's just so many things that will go on from here that will fill our calendars and, and, and our days are going to turn to weeks. Our weeks are going to turn to months and months are going to turn to years and you're going to stop and you're, if you didn't stop in moments like this and sit Shiva for even just a few moments to reflect on the lives of the people that have gone before us, uh, your, your life may not change. There's not much quiet times in our, our world anymore. I think there's, a, there's one more time that we reflect sitting Shiva. I think we do it every seven days. To reflect on someone who was buried in the ground. Jesus. Uh, what is Jesus' death and burial? But then his resurrection. What does that mean to our lives? How, how are we reflecting that in our lives? So maybe during these next few minutes, we're going to call the worship team back up, but I, I want to challenge, I guess, all of you. Uh, in the quietness and the songs, is there somewhere where God's challenging you that, boy, you know what? You really need to be more gracious with this person. You really need to come and receive my grace so you'll have more grace to give. Uh, maybe it's maybe it's the Lord just wants you to strength find his strength in him. And, and maybe it's you just need the point of like, I just need to express to the Lord how I'm feeling. And maybe we do that through songs, and, and maybe you just do it through a prayer. Uh, maybe it's just you need to be reminded, what do I know to be true about God? Because I've lost it in, in all the busyness of this world. What, what do I know to be true of the character of God? And then what am I going to believe, and how am I going to respond to that? It's just these um, awkward moments of sitting Shiva under the tamarisk tree that will change your life's direction. So I think it's really important that we do that. So I'm going to um, invite the worship team to come back up. And as they're coming, let me, let me pray.
Lord, Lord, each one of us are going to get to um, the point where other people are going to be saying, remember when Joel was here or did that? And, and those stories are going to end with, yeah, I really I want to be like that. Or, boy, I don't want to be like that at all. Lord, would you, would you help us to slow down enough in life to be able to, to reflect on your life and death and resurrection and that it would change how we live today? Lord, that we'd find our strength in, in you. Lord, that if we have big things coming up or activities or whatever, Lord, that we would first turn to you, that we would we'd be people who, who pray and turn to you uh, for guidance and, and help. Lord, that we'd be people that are uh, full of compassion and kindness, even to people that um, doesn't seem like they can do anything for us. And Lord, we'd be people that are marked by grace, just like your son Jesus, who came and died on a cross to give gifts freely to all of us who will receive it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. You can find us on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off of Highway 212 between Boring and Damascus, Oregon, or find us online at hollyviewchurch.com. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.